to another episode of Good Newscast. As always, great to have you listening. Uh, today, we're going to talk a bit about music, um, singing in the church, uh, and in particular, some of our observations with uh, singing in kind of your average evangelical church. What I mean is if you, the churches in your city that probably have the coolest websites, um, what what's going on with music and singing and song in those churches and why this is kind of a, a not very prepared. We're, we we wanted to on purpose kind of riff on this whiteboard out loud, think out loud on our observations, um, and I think that ultimately the there's some good stuff to talk about regarding music and the law and the gospel um and an understanding of the law and the gospel an understanding of the distinction between god's law and god's gospel um and your church experience on sunday so um let's get into it first question i mean we didn't even get to to uh, formulate what our first question is but we have well here here we go let's just incredibly curious let's do this curious so a lot of times when i click on some of the more some churches in our town um every night because i'm very curious i'll click on their sunday service um which pretty much everyone's is on youtube now and i'm just curious about like their their service and the flow of their service and what they do and yada yada and what i've noticed a lot of times is kind of your your typical evangelical church um a lot of singing a lot of music it is not uncommon for me to i'll go to the beginning of the service and then scroll through and it'll be 30. i want to say that the past week or two one of them was 45 ish minutes of music to start the service yeah um now i have been in those churches uh i've spent a lot of time in those churches um when i was a younger christian where where that would be at 30 minutes of music sermon typically it's a lot of music sermon uh, a lot of music yeah at the end, 30 minutes, 45 minutes of, of music. I've been at conferences or youth camps and things like that where, I mean, no exaggeration, potentially an hour and a half, two hours of music after the sermon. Wow. Um, so I've been in those churches. Uh, so it doesn't totally surprise me when I see it. 30 minutes, 45 minutes of music, 50-minute sermon, uh, give or take, and then, you know, 30, 45 minutes of music after. Um in our context, we do four songs on a Sunday, and there's a lot of flow throughout our service in terms of responsive reading, song, prayer, responsive reading, song, sermon, song, you know. Um, Sacraments. That's yeah. kind of like our world and what we do. We can maybe talk a little bit about why. So first question is this. Yeah. In our observations, throwing it to you, why do you think potentially uh we in a lot of your typical evangelical churches the service is dominated by singing and you can talk about the lyrics of the songs but also Mm -hmm. even just the act itself of why there's so much singing i don't like personally i i've been thinking about this even uh a lot recently there's this i've been reading through um you know i i told you it's no uh everybody knows this that knows me i have probably about 10 to 20 books i never stop reading so i picked up Luther's Galatians commentary again, and I've been plowing through it, and I got to chapter three where he talks about receiving uh, the power, the Holy Spirit, and the signs and miracles and the wonders of the Holy Spirit, and he asks this rhetorical question about did you receive it by works of the law, self-activations, or did you receive present tense, uh, the Holy Spirit, and continue to receive the supplies of the Holy Spirit by hearing with faith. 
And uh, so that hearing with faith is phenomenal because his whole point in Galatians and his whole point in Romans is that faith comes by hearing. And uh, Luther said, listen, the only organ that the Christian has is the ear. And the ear, hearing the gospel, that the Holy Spirit actually is released and supplied to you as a Christian, uh, not only when you become a Christian for the first time, do you hear the gospel, the Holy Spirit ac- accompanies the gospel, they go together, creates faith in you, uh, and you trust Jesus and his salvation instead of trusting yourself and your own attempts to save yourself. You become a Christian, but Paul's writing to Christians, and Paul is saying, you began that way, and how do you continue that way? Don't you continue the same way? And so I think, I wonder, I wonder if we've lost the wonder of the ear. In other words, that the hearing of the gospel is actually an apocalyptic, cosmic, divine breakthrough, but we've lost the confidence or we lost the good news in our preaching, and our preaching has become more law-oriented, you know, convict me. How many times over and over I've had people come up to me and say, uh, uh, if it's convicting to me, I know it's a good sermon. When I first got here, I was told that over and over again. Thank you for convicting me. Uh, as if that's what they need to hear. But Paul would say, no, what you need to hear is the good news. And when you hear the good news, the Holy Spirit uh, rushes upon you and gives you faith and reaches you and awakens you and speaks you back to life again and addresses you as a Christian and gives you the engine for the Christian life and all this different aspects, connecting you to God, one another, mission. I wonder that music has replaced preaching. Mm -hmm. In other words, preaching used to be... Gospel preaching. Gospel preaching. Absolutely. I think law preaching has has pushed people to find comfort and find uh, the love of God, the grace of God. Uh, in other words, the only way that you can know God. Um, and has pushed it towards uh, singing and more of an emotional reality. Because if you think about it, and we were talking about this earlier, you don't hear too many people say, the singing convicted me. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, people are looking for comfort. They're looking for good news because that is how God breaks into our life and gives us the spirit as a Christian. Mm-hmm. So that's what I wonder. I wonder, and I heard, uh, if I said his name, everybody would know him, but there was a, an older preacher um, who said he believes that uh, singing songs has replaced preaching today. Mm-hmm. And I would say the same thing because we're not preaching the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are desperate for the gospel, so they look for it in singing. Yeah, I mean, for I think there's some like baselines that you have to understand about your typical church service today um, that, that I think are true. I mean, obviously I'm at Redeemer every Sunday. I'm not watching other churches' services uh, regularly, basically ever, in full. So hopefully I'm wrong. But w- what I've seen and what what is typically like the most concerning thing to me is that a lot of times in your typical Sunday, let's just talk about a Sunday morning church service, the gospel is oftentimes for the unbeliever. Um, And what I mean is this, that you have a 45-minute sermon, and then at the end of it, there's this gospel presentation of what Jesus did. There's this five-minute 
thing that's hyper-focused on Jesus, hyper-focused on his life, his death, his resurrection, and that is the message where the preacher will address all of the unbelievers present, right? Hey, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to tell you the gospel so that you'll believe. Mm -hmm. And that begs the question, if that happened at the end of the 45-minute sermon, and that was directed to the unbeliever, then what was the 40 or 45 minutes, what was that message for the believer? And an understanding of the law and the gospel, you only have two options if you're talking about the message. You're either preaching gospel good news, something that's been done for you, not by you, or you're preaching law, something for you to do, for you to be. And I think that it bears true that in many, many, many churches in America that oftentimes that first 40 minutes is law in some form or fashion, right? It's It was convicting. It was convicting, right? Right. That's what the law does. It convicts you. It cuts you. This is where I'm falling short. This is how I need to do better, et cetera, et cetera. Work on this. Yeah. Stop doing this. And it can be totally biblical, wonderful content. This this, this is not to say that it's wrong. Right. It's just simply saying that that is what Christians are basically being given every Sunday. And, And I will say, and this is something we've talked about. Again, this is a lot of our kind of like when we think out loud. I think a lot of times that's what packs out churches, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that that a if someone said, Colin, how can I make a mega church? I would say two things. Mm-hmm. You need to have insane killer music. Yep. And you need to have weekly sermons that are kind of like Bible TED Talks. Um, they are giving some people something new and unique that they've kind of never heard feels cutting edge regarding mm-hmm. them getting better yeah. in some form or fashion. Okay. Yeah. So um, that to me is oftentimes because we know, I mean, I don't want to kind of go off on a lot of rabbit trails, but we know as Christians in the week, like we are convicted for our sin. We know we need to be more convicted for our sin. We're convicted about not being convicted. We know we're falling short and our natural instinct is to think that if someone could just tell me a new method to get better, I'll do it. Yeah. What did the Israelites say when they were given the Ten Commandments? We'll do it all. And they and that was showing them, that was the beginning of them starting to realize, no, actually the point is you won't do any of it. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, Christians are given the law. Uh, they are rarely given the gospel. They hear their pastor give the gospel to the unbeliever. Know it or not, they are desperate for the comfort of God's grace. They're desperate to know God loves them, even though the past six days they have done nothing but earn his wrath. Yeah. They know that. They're desperate for his love and grace. They don't get it in the sermon. And so here's what I think is going on. Even the church knows that they need that. And so where do they all get it in the music? Yep. They go, I didn't get it in the sermon. And even the preacher, when he steps down from the sermon, he's in the same boat. He's going, man, I I really need some sense of comfort, peace. I need a sense of God's love because my very own sermon just convicted me. I didn't give myself the gospel. I gave it to the unbelievers. And so I think what's happening in churches is we are giving music as the new gospel. Like music is the gospel. You're going to find a sense of peace with God as we sing. But the reality is if you sing a three-minute song, it's not enough to work you into that emotional state, which is why you get 35, 40 minutes of it. Because 35, 40 minutes of music, 
you finally kind of work into that emotional state of peace and zen and and what have you and you finally get that that sense of peace that the gospel is meant to bring you but since you weren't given the gospel you're looking for it elsewhere which is why you made a great point that most of our songs are celebrating in some way specifically or vaguely god's grace like we're not singing about thou shalt not steal right we're not singing about thou shalt not commit adultery we're singing about god you're for me god you fight my battles uh-huh. right good news yeah um, and we're doing that because we know the gospel brings forth song and joy. So that's what we're singing about. And that's oftentimes the only place Christians are hearing the gospel for themselves, you know, even though a lot of times we still can't help to throw in the law of like, but you only get this if you surrender all, you know, and you're like, oh, shoot, you know, right, right. Um, but, I, anyway. but by the time you're 10 songs in, you have a feeling to where you, you might feel like you want to surrender all. Yeah. And so you feel, in other words, even when the law does come in and you're singing, it's actually helped you. It's helped you almost convince yourself by your feelings yeah. that you are, I'm going to surrender this time, Lord, yeah. this week, right? Yeah. I'm going to make that decision. I'm going to put that porn away. I'm going to, whatever it is, right? Yeah. You know, this is even interesting. You think about sometimes in the Baptist world, especially they get made fun of for like the altar call. And you'll hear people talk about, in all seriousness, you know, I went for, I went forward six times. Yeah. Because I kept thinking, like, maybe I'm not saved. Yeah. You know, it makes me even wonder, like, um, you know, you might have Christians sitting there, Christians, saved, believers, and they hear the law week after week after week. And, and so they're left in this place of just utter conviction for sin. Yeah. They are, because we all do this, they are drifting from the gospel daily they're drifting back to the law. They're drifting back. Maybe I do need to follow the law for God's love. They hear the gospel presented to unbelievers, and they want it so bad that yeah. they're like, I'll take I'll some of that again. again. Yeah. It's like, dude, if you would just give your church, the Christians, the gospel, they wouldn't feel like they've got to go down for the altar call, but they feel like the only place to get grace is down yeah. at the altar again. And so, so they keep going. Yes, and so that's what when Paul says in, in Galatians 3, did he not do this, and does he not? still supply the spirit by hearing so please hear us that if you are uh desperate to connect with god to know that he loves you to know that he's with you and for you when you read a psalm and it says like the lord is on my side and you long for that to be true you long for that to connect with you to like move you to make you have some peace and comfort know that the primary place in the Bible, for that to happen is for you to hear good news, yeah. to actually have it preached to you. And that's why over and over again, from the ancient texts in Isaiah to the newer texts in the New Testament, uh, the, the apologetic is, how will they believe? How will they know? How will they? And it, the answer is, God will send someone with beautiful feet that will preach good news to them, and you will hear it. And you will be spoken back to life again. And the Holy Spirit is supplied through the hearing of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is not supplied any other way. Mm-hmm. It's not supplied through the law. The law does not carry one ounce of divine life or redemptive power. Steps, how-tos, surrenders, yieldings, things that we do do not have divine life and divine power in them. Absolutely nothing. The Bible is absolutely clear on that. So to be a healthy Christian, 
uh, to have a healthy church, you must be hearing the good news. You must have it beat into your head, beat into your bones, uh, because um, the default mode of you, Christian, is to not only forget the gospel, but to be in a, a self-salvation or a self-sanctification project where you are desperate to try to activate God in your life and activate the Christian life and activate fellowship and love and holiness. That is the default mode. Mm-hmm. And the counteract to that, that's called works of the law, um, is hearing with faith, is hearing what Jesus has done. So theologically, if you're a theological edhead out there, here's what Paul would say to you. If you want to grow as a Christian, uh, you need to hear justification by faith. You know, I can imagine people kind of going, well, how, okay, then how am I going to grow, right? Like, how am I ever going to repent of my sin, grow, if you're telling me to just hear good news that Jesus lived, died, and rose for me? Um you know, uh, one of the best things I've ever heard described about the Old Testament, think about the Old Testament, right? A lot of times we read the Old Testament and we think, man, there's a lot of law here. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of, you know, uh, and think, how did it go for Israel, God's people in the Old Testament? Like one of the greatest things I've ever heard about the Old Testament is that it was a, a great lesson in misdirection, that on the surface, it looks like, oh, God's giving them the commandments and the rules because he knows they can do it and they will do it. And you know, they might fall short here and there, but generally they'll do it. And it's this great misdirection that the whole point was God going, let me show you how little you'll do. Yeah. Right. Uh, Israel is at Mount Sinai. They hear the thunder, they see the lightning and they're like golden calf time, baby. Yeah. God's like Jonah, go to Nineveh. You know what? Just stop right there. So what many people will say is that what everybody needs is the holiness of God, that that'll change us. Mm -hmm. They got that. Yeah. And they made a calf two seconds later. Yeah. Yeah. So even just that, right. you need more right. fear and reverence. Um, yeah. No, if you want to know God, you need the gospel, period. All, Go ahead. All that David experienced yes. did not uh, keep him from Bathsheba. Uh, God tells Jonah, Go to Nineveh. Yeah. He's like, No. I mean, the the whole Old Testament is this picture for us of like, look how corrupt you are. That the most fearful experience that should scare you into obedience, if nothing else, will not. No. Uh, the, The most clear law, this is what you are to do, straight from God himself. We will be like, uh, I, I know a better way. Yeah. Um, that's the whole point of the Old Testament. Look how corrupt you are. Uh, so, so when someone, well, how am I going to obey if I don't get that next sermon on how do I obey? Well, the new Testament said it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. We know this true in life Yes, that the friends we are most faithful to the spouse, we are faithful to, uh, the family members we are faithful to just think about those relationships and what do you trace it to? You will trace it to, well, I love them. I love them. Uh, they have been a wonderful friend to me. They are a wonderful spouse to me. They are a wonderful family member to me. You will not trace it to that friend has scared the daylights out of me and threatened me, and therefore I'm faithful to them. Yeah. It is the kindness of God as well as the kindness of our spouses, friendships, family members that lead us to faithfulness to them. Mm-hmm. So if you, even if 
even if you're going, my number one goal on Sunday is to get better. My answer for you is still the same. Okay, good. You need the gospel. Yep. You need the law, yes, to convict you and show you where you fall short, yes, and to guide you, this is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And guess what? If you want to change at all, you've got to hear the kindness of God yep. in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you won't. So even if that's your goal, yeah. I just want to get better. Yeah. <laughs> good. You need the gospel. Right. And yeah. If- you want to have a better marriage. You want to be a better parent. You want to work harder. You want to have more courage and boldness in your life. You want to be less lazy. Hear the gospel. I mean, just think about it even this way, practically, theologically. If the gospel is where the Holy Spirit is supplied to you, uh, everyone knows that only the Holy Spirit can change you, right? So only the gospel is where the Holy Spirit is supplied to you in sanctification or as a Christian. So even theologically, that's your answer. And then, brilliant. I mean, it's absolutely what you just said that, I mean, think about your relationships. I mean, honestly, think about how things work. Think about when, if those of you that are parents, when you love and accept unconditionally your child, watch what it does to them. When you speak encouragement and praise to them, they're like a flower that just grows right before your eyes overnight. But then watch when... Uh, you accuse and condemn right. and watch what that does to a soul. Well, just test yourself. I mean, how many of us out here like to be critiqued? Does anybody like critique? Does anybody like to uh, be wrongly or even rightly accused? I mean, the, how about those of you that are married? I mean, good night when your wife actually comes to you with something that's true about you, but when she comes, how, how easy is it for you to go, oh yeah, honey, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're desperate, desperate to be loved. We know deep down like how this actually works. We just, I, I, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I think to try to try to wrap this up, this is like where my, I know this is where my heart's at, um, is that I think that people need to demand, have a much higher standard of demand on their pastors, but in a different direction. I think we expect our pastors to be experts in, um, uh, I need like a series on parenting. Yeah, it's like, well, who said your pastor is an expert in parenting? You know, I need a, a series on like an expertise and I, I don't know. Fill in the blank. It's like, well, who leadership? Said, who said that, uh, that was, work? Yeah, the criteria uh, for yeah, him effectiveness in the workplace. So potentially, we need to lower our standards. For, I mean, especially me. I've got young kids, and it's like I'm sure when I was 18, I was like, I want to be a pastor, and I'm gonna teach people how to parent. And now with young kids, I'm like, I, I might never teach. I mean, I might attend the parenting classes for the rest of my life. I don't know that I ever want to teach them. So have a much lower standard probably for some of like the methods and advice that you want and have a much higher standard for, tell me what the Bible says. Tell me what the law says in the Bible. And then you better go back to the gospel again and again and again. And the grace of God and the message of Jesus better have the last word again and again. I wish more Christians, I guess, tasted that, knew that, and then even had a much more aggressive demand for it. That's cool that the guitarist can riff, sweet, whatever. I'd rather have terrible music and great gospel preaching than the music be the only place I get the gospel. And those of you that are thinking, oh my word, so what are we going to have this truncated gospel, canned gospel message that's got to be worked into every sermon? Uh, please hear us. That's not what we're saying. Right. We're saying that there's a textual Jesus in every text. Uh, it's not a, a UFO Jesus that 
is completely strange to the text and even strange to God, and he just shows up because you make him show up. And he's not a systematic Jesus that, you know, you preach this sermon and then you kind of, at the end, oh yeah, here's the Jesus bit. And every time you talk about Jesus, it sounds exactly the same. No, what we're saying and what the Bible says is that every text has a specific aspect of Jesus and his work for you. And that specific aspect of Jesus and his work for you in that text, because Jesus is the word, unleashes heaven on you, Mm -hmm. unleashes life on you. Uh, And it's the grain of the text. To not find the textual Jesus is actually to work in a text against its grain. To find the textual Jesus, a specific aspect of who Jesus is and what he's done in that text is to cut with the grain of the text, the way the grain, the way the text is going, and it reaches you, it renews you. So if you've had... um, you know, four spiritual law presentations of the gospel your whole life, and then that's what you get at the end of the sermon. We are not talking about that. We are talking about the wonders of the worth and work of Jesus um, that it takes the whole Bible and all eternity to actually give to you. Yeah, it's like the demand is talk to me about Jesus, you know, pastor, sermon. Tell me about Jesus from the whole Bible. Preach the Bible and the Bible's about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I can tell you, I can tell you all about what Jesus wants you to do. I can do that. No, no, no. I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I said, tell me about Jesus, who he is, and what he has done. I can tell you about what he told you to do. No, no, no. Don't, you know? Yeah. If you, okay, do that. That's fine. But you better end with him and what he's done. All right. Hopefully this is helpful. Uh, The music thing was a little bit of a Trojan horse to talk about law and gospel. So uh, we'll see uh, what we end up talking about 